This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to another episode of the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam Camp, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by the man himself, Richard Blackaby. Well, thanks for having me, Sam. You know, it wouldn't be much of a podcast without <laughs> you, so I'm glad you could make it. Yeah. Hey, uh, something I haven't mentioned in a while, but I was thinking the other day, uh, how are those Buffalo Sabres doing? Well, I'm glad you asked, Sam. <laughs> First place in the NHL right First now. place. First place in their rightful place. Well, enjoy it while it lasts. I am, because yeah. I've I've cheered for them long enough to know you you seize the moment because it <laughs> a moment can pass. It's, it's a fleeting <laughs> a fleeting moment. But uh, you know, I tell you, we'll, we'll have to do a podcast on them sometime because it's uh, a real interesting case study and well, how not to win. Well, it is, and um, <laughs> but you know, they got a new coach, a new leader this year, and he's got a few new players. But uh, it is amazing how a different coach can get a whole different team spirit, uh, hmm. a team focus. And I, I am intrigued by that when you're considered one of the worst teams in the league and, uh, and you get a new coach and all of a sudden it's, you're like the team to beat. It's, and you, and you know, you're basically working with the same tools the last guy had, but, yeah. uh, and I, I am intrigued by that. And we'll, we'll, well see. and it's, what's interesting is, uh, this coach has no hockey background. Well, like yeah, he, he has a little bit, but he, but not, but much. he's been coaching yeah, soccer. He, yeah. He was in soccer the last five years and he comes yeah. in to turn around a hockey team that has already fired like five coaches in the last seven or so years. So, mm. Uh, to to a guy who's been w- working with with soccer in England for the last five years and come in to turn a hockey team around, but you know he he does he knows hockey, but uh, I think in in one sense I look at it more as a leadership issue. He he wrote a book on leadership and uh, and he so he's applying leadership principles. Uh, there you and go. I you know I maintain if you if you use leadership principles, you can apply them and just about any area right. and you can see improvement. So I'm kind of, it does my heart good to see well, good. a leadership author leading my, well, you my know, favorite team. So, you know, you've been, uh, been a fan for so long, you know, they've got to win eventually. Well, that's what I thought point. 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well today, you know, we'll make a loose transition here, uh, <laughs> yeah, to, it's hard uh, to segue from that. Isn't it? <laughs> I know I, I set myself up for that, but anyways, um, Today we're we're looking at uh, mighty men, what it means to uh, have mighty men around you, or to get mighty men or women uh, around you as a leader. And uh, I think for for a lot of people, when they think of that that term and and having a, you know good people around you, a lot of people think of David. Yeah. And uh, and what he did. Yeah, and that's certainly where I take this from. Uh, I want to talk about just working with and surrounding yourself with mighty men, mighty women, uh, just other strong leaders. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, We've said this many times before, but there's a difference between leading uh, followers and leading leaders. And David became a leader of leaders. Uh, He had a whole host of people that are described in the Bible as mighty men. And if you're wanting to do a study of this sometime, they're, they're listed in two different places in the Old Testament. Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 to 39, and then First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 10 to 47, kind of lists them out there. And you got to remember that this, these mighty men served him over the course of his adult life. And so some of them come and go. Uh, right. it, they're not necessarily all there at the same time, but um, 
but it's clear that he's got a, a host of great warriors and uh, powerful people that are very loyal to him. And uh, it attributes a lot of his success to the fact that if you got this group of, uh, of warriors who single-handedly can kill hundreds of enemy, and they're, but they're all loyal to you, uh, that gives you a lot of clout. Uh, and a lot of influence, and certainly helped him have success, even when his army might be outnumbered. But uh, there's an interesting story that you find in Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 21, beginning of verse 15. I just wanted to mention for a moment, I don't always do this, but uh, just a little mini Bible study for a moment. It says, uh, when the Philistines were at war against Israel, and of course the Philistines were the big enemy of uh, of the Israelites all through David's time. Right. It says David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines and David grew faint. Uh, then Ishbi Benob, who was one of the sons of the giant, in other words, uh, one of the sons of Goliath, uh, Goliath is known as the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall not go out any more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So it starts, this whole section starts by David trying to take on a giant just like he had before. But he's getting older now, and uh, he's not the man he used to be. He's not the teenager anymore. He's had a lot of warfare, and he's uh, had a lot of water under the bridge. Yeah. And uh, he's still just as uh, courageous as ever, but this time he starts growing faint, and one of, his, one of his mighty men actually steps in and kills one of the sons of Goliath. And so, of course, this guy might not have been as big as his dad, but he's obviously a very impressive size. But then it goes on and says in the next several verses after that, it just basically lists a number of other uh, men who also kill giants. And all these giants are basically related to Goliath. Goliath kind of bred a bunch of other giant offspring, or his brother was a giant. And, uh, and so it gets all the way down to um, uh, verse 21, and it says, basically, even one of David's uh, nephews kills a giant. And you can kind of pass over this passage pretty quickly. It's just a little interesting little story in the midst of the description of David. Yeah. But I remember reading this a while ago and just being struck by several things. Um, one is now it seems as if killing giants is almost commonplace. It's like you just keep hearing all these different people that all killed their, you know, what, yeah. what giant did you kill? You know, we, I killed this giant and uh, I, whatever. But you remember when David is a teenager, the, the giant, Goliath, is taunting all the army of Israel and blaspheming their God and making a mockery of them for 40 days. 40 days he comes out and every, the entire army, like the strongest, bravest men in the entire country are terrorized by this guy. Nobody wants to take him on, fundamentally because they believe that it's impossible, that they, they'll lose. Right. They'll, if they walk out in that field, they're a dead man. So nobody does it. And then David comes along and actually believes it is possible. And he brazenly walks out there without even wearing armor and kills Goliath. Well, at that point, David is the celebrated hero. He's the only giant killer in the entire land. And, uh, and so, but, but David does an interesting thing by 
killing Goliath, he demonstrates it's, it is possible. The giants are not invincible. Right. That uh, if you have faith in God and you use your wits about you and so on, you can, you can overcome them. And you, it takes courage. And now that David's been king for a while, you realize that David's not the only giant killer. In fact, they don't need David to kill the giants anymore. They, Abishai says, David, look, you just sit the, the next giant out. Uh, because now there's a bunch of us who can kill giants, not just you. And of course, you might look at that kind of nostalgically and say, boy, the good old days when David was the one that everybody looked to to kill giants. Now it's, you know, anybody and their dog are killing giants. Uh, But that that tells you what kind of leader David is. David is a a leader who breeds giant killers. Hmm. Nobody was killing giants before David. Now everybody who hangs out with him is ready to take on their giant. Uh, what what has he done? He's raised up a host of mighty men, uh, and uh, and now it's not just all on his shoulders. Uh, and uh, and what I found about see a lot of people will say, well, boy, if I had a few mighty men, give me give me one mighty man, just yeah. one chief lieutenant that I can trust to carry out uh, you know my wishes and get get jobs done and tackle problems. Uh, there's a lot of leaders that every time a, a serious uh, problem comes, they end up having to solve it. You know, it's like, well, for the day-to-day stuff, I can, I've got some staff that can handle day-to-day, but as soon as there's a problem, they got to bring me in, and I always have to do the hard, heavy lifting. Uh, and a lot of leaders would love to have someone say, hey, this is a really tough job. You sit back, boss. I can handle this. I'll take care of it and get it all cleaned up for you. We'd all love to have that, but uh, how do you get there? How do you how do you raise up people and enlist people that are capable of taking on big tasks and difficult assignments and doing them well? Yeah, I think it's one thing to to just to be a good leader. It's another thing to to lead other people to become good leaders as well. Right. That seems to be the that's sort of the gold. I think if if and, and sometimes people will hire. A, a good leader, you know, they'll, if you pay enough money, you might hire somebody, but how do you raise them up? Hmm. How, how do you take someone that wasn't a great leader and, uh, and then develop them to where now they are a great leader? You, yeah. Well, I think let's, uh, we'll take a quick break and when we come back, maybe we can dive into that a little bit and see how we can raise up good leaders. Whether at home, on the job, or in the ministry, we can all have a greater impact on the world around us for the kingdom of God. Join Richard Blackaby at the Billy Graham Training Center at The Cove to learn about increasing your spiritual influence on April 6th through the 8th, 2020. Space is limited, so register soon at the link in the show notes. So Richard, uh, someone might be saying, if I was David, sure, that would be that would be great. Like I would have a bunch of mighty men. Wouldn't that be nice? But I'm not David. Uh, and so... What can we do uh, in today's world so that we can raise up mighty men or women around us who will also be great leaders uh, like hopefully ourselves are? Well, one thing is to attract mighty men, you have to be a mighty man or mighty woman. But you, if you're a wimpy man, <laughs> you're not going to attract a mighty man. So the first thing you got to do is you got to grow yourself. You got to be the kind of leader that peop- that other leaders respect. Leaders, I've been a leader all my life. I've been, I'm around leaders all the time. And leaders are always kind of evaluating each other. You know, you go into a room 
and the leaders, I mean, they're not necessarily strutting their stuff, but but they're, they're pr- pretty well sizing people up. Does this guy know what he's doing? Is he competent? Is he confident? Is, is he successful? Uh, and if they, if they get the sense that in your uh, field, you know what you're doing, uh, you have a successful track record, you're competent, uh, you're good at what you do, well, then they'll tip your hat, their hat to you and they'll respect you and, they, and they'll be willing to work with you. Uh, but, but if they feel like they don't respect you, uh, that you don't conduct yourself well, uh, that perhaps you don't exude confidence in what you're doing and a sense of direction, then real leaders don't want to hitch their wagon to people like that. And so I had a person one time uh, when I was a pastor, I had several people that had, uh, come to work with me and in each case we were, we had to stretch ourselves financially. We didn't have a lot of money to start. And so, but, but I had people saying, well, I'll be creative about my salary. I'll work part-time over here and I'll work with you or I'll raise my support or I'll take a cut in pay. And, and so I had all these people that were coming to work with me. And, uh, and then the, another pastor came to me and, and he was, I remember very distinctly, he said, uh, well, Richard, you're just lucky because you've got all kinds of people that work with you. He said, I can't even get, uh, you know, an office assistant, uh, to work with me at my church. And I remember thinking, well, if you think that it's luck that gets people to come work with you, then you probably aren't going to get anybody because, uh, I don't want to blow my own horn, but like I was a leader that, that was capable of attracting other leaders to work with me. And part of that was they were young leaders and inexperienced leaders, but I was willing to invest in them. And that's essentially what you have to do. I mean, once you're a very established well-known, well-respected leader, you can hire other leaders to come work with you. They, they know your reputation and they'll yeah. work with you. But, but, uh, I would always say to people, start out by developing your own. Uh, of course, David, he attracted mighty leaders, but, but a lot of the people that initially came to him were the outcasts, the poor, uh, you know, the, the, the disadvantaged, and they all found their way to David because normal society didn't have a place for them. And David made these people begin to see themselves as mighty men, and they began to act like mighty men. And so to do that, you've got to be a person that is committed to investing in the people that you work with. And that means not it's not just about you. It, it means these people are not just there to serve you and make you look good. Uh, it means that the people around you um, give you the opportunity to see their potential and to stretch them. I love... Uh, over the years, I've had uh, various emerging leaders around me, and there are a number of things that I might try to do just to help them. Uh, one is you just give them opportunities, things that you maybe normally would do and probably could do better than them. But you say, you know what, this time I want you to do that. I remember even just as a pastor, bringing in an associate and then later a youth pastor, and, um, and neither one of them felt very confident preaching. But uh, I, would, I would just periodically say, you know what, I just, I'd like to have you preach for me. And they typically would not want to and be intimidated. And, <laughs> and I would, I'd say, well, why don't you take this evening service here? You know, fewer people, uh, less intimidating audience, but I want you to go through the practice of putting a sermon together and delivering it. And then I'd say, I want you to come to my house, uh, after the service, we'll put the kids to bed and then, uh, uh, we'll, we'll make some snacks and we'll just debrief. And I, I want to talk about the sermon while it's fresh. What did you 
tell me what, you know, let's talk about some things that you did well and you seem to stumble here. Well, wh- why do you think that is? And tell me about this transition. How, why did you go from this to this? And uh, when that person coughed out loud, uh, it seemed like it threw you off, you know. Uh, wh- what could, what do you think you could do to try to not get distracted from stuff going on out there in the audience? And, and uh, you know, so I would give them opportunities, but then I would debrief with them. Yeah. And I, then I'd give them another opportunity. I'd say, okay, well, you know, in another two months, let's try this again. And uh, you'd be working on a sermon. You get a message. And, and here's some things you might think about in putting a sermon together. And, uh, you know, why don't you bounce some ideas off me, what you might preach on. Maybe I can help you even think through how to formulate it and so on. And, you know, now those, those uh, I remember those two guys in particular, uh, one is a full-time senior pastor, preaches every week. The other is an uh, international missionary now. And uh, th- they've both gone on and been used uh, mightily by God. But but I remember the early days just investing in them and, and giving them opportunities. Um, also, I think, you know, if you if you want to raise up mighty men, um, be, 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 have the habit of putting books into people's hands. Uh just, just tell them, you know, I want you to be reading. And, uh, if you come across a great book you think would really stretch them, uh, I, I love it when guys are, they read a book and they, they get a lot out of it. And so then they buy a dozen copies and give it out to friends and younger colleagues and so on. And, and just kind of encouraging others to grow and read a good book as well. Uh, if you're going to raise up mighty men, you just probably need to be regularly buying books for people. And, uh, yeah. we at BMI, we have a book club where we read a book and, uh, just trying to invest and grow together and just kind of create that, that culture of, uh, of keep putting stuff in people's hands. If there's a seminar, uh, don't ever be- begrudge, uh, folks when they want to go somewhere and pick up a seminar or do some online class. Uh, you know, you, I know you and, uh, Daniel will go to some creative thing once a month. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I think it's great. It's, uh, I, I'm happy to have uh, staff wanting to go places where they can learn, get new ideas. And, uh, and you want to sort of develop that reputation. Uh, well, if you work with, with them, they'll, they'll, they're always putting a new book in your hand. They're letting you go to conferences and seminars. Uh, you know, I, I just think sometimes it's good just to bring people along with me, you know, just, uh, Hey, just come with me on this trip. You'll, you'll meet some really interesting people or you'll see some interesting things or maybe on the drive in and out, uh, or the flight, wherever it is we're going, uh, we'll have some time. I I might have some time just to talk to a, a younger colleague and process some things and pick their brain and just, you know, encourage them. And, uh, you become known as that kind of person that just, you could just drive alone into a town, but bring someone along and ask uh, them questions and help them understand kind of your thinking and why you do things the way you do. And, hey, did you notice this today? And, hey, let me tell you the backstory on that and why this worked out this way. And I'll tell you what, you, you just constantly be trying to find ways uh, to um, in, invest in others. And, of course, you want to... Um, you know, you want to speak a blessing. We've talked about that before, but mm-hmm. you want to notice when they they do something well. If you ever want to just diminish and uh, your people instead of making them mighty men and women, just keep pointing out what they do wrong, and you'll you'll kick the life right out of them. Yeah. But uh, you celebrate and you point out and you notice uh, when people do things right, and uh, it it 
motivates them to want to do it right again and to learn from that. And uh, I found sometimes you want to help kind of people to to learn and, and to process what happened. Sometimes people just kind of, they have some success, but they don't even know why. It's like, well, that worked out this time. Uh, I'd say, well, let's let's stop and unpack that. Why did it work? What did, yeah. you, what did you do that was uh, that helped you have success there? Um, and uh, you know what I found uh, as well is that when you look at uh, historically successful people, people that have had phenomenal success, almost, I'd say probably without exception, they've never just done it alone. Hmm. Uh, they've always had people, maybe they were behind the scenes people, they weren't people on the platform, but there were always people, you didn't have to look very far uh, before you find people that without them, uh, they would never have been successful. And so, you know, you think of a, a person like Steve Jobs, you know, he had Wozniak uh, that was a much, much better a computer programmer than Jobs was. Jobs didn't have the technical know-how and uh, genius that his partner had. Now, Jobs became the face and the CEO and the driving force, uh, but it's hard to imagine him developing the Apple without Wozniak. Yeah. Uh, you know, people back like Queen Elizabeth uh, I, she had uh, a, a, a noble uh, named Cecil that... Uh, basically was her chief of staff that counseled and took care of problems and uh, dealt with so many issues. And she grew so... Now, now Elizabeth I is considered one of the great monarchs of England and a great leader, but uh, anyone who reads the history of her reign knows that she had some very able people around her. And it's said of Cecil that as he got much older and feebler, to the point where he he needed to retire. He didn't. He just didn't have the strength anymore to keep serving. But uh, the queen would even help feed him sometimes and care for him, and because she just depended upon him so much and mm. uh, had just grown to trust his counsel and his loyalty and support and wisdom, that uh, she just was very very reluctant to let him go. Um, she of course could march into the throne room and be a great queen. But anyone who knew her knew that behind the scenes, there were others that were handling uh, a lot of her work and uh, carrying through her wishes, making sure things happened the way she wanted them to. And so, you know, one of the reasons you need mighty men around you is not just to bless them, but if you are going to ever accomplish a lot, um, even the greatest of leaders can only do so much. But the moment that you surround yourself with a bunch of mighty men, then all of a sudden you've just multiplied what you can do. Uh, and uh, I think great leaders don't just look at addition. They look at multiplication. Right. And uh, for multipl- you, for addition, you just hire a couple more people. For multiplication, you need some talented people around you, skilled, creative, problem solvers on their own right uh, that come alongside you, and all of a sudden there's far more happening than you ever could have done by yourself. And as the leader, you may be giving the direction and uh, the the vision and the focus and the inspiration. You may be the public voice, but really, for your organization to to go further, uh, you you've got to have some mighty men and women. And and so I always ask people when I'm working with other leaders, especially if you keep losing people, I tell you that's that ought to be a, a red flag for you. If you keep losing your best people to your competition for whatever reason, they they're quitting, uh, they're uh, they're going to go work for someone else. Uh, don't just be mad at them. Uh, ask yourself, you know, they're, they're not just traitors. 
more than likely, they just felt like there was a better place to work, hmm. uh, a better environment where they had a more opportunity to grow uh, and develop. And so when I, if I start losing people, which I don't know that I ever have, but if I were to lose some people, uh, I'd immediately take account of that and say, why are they not attracted to working with me? Did, yeah. I, did I not invest enough in them? And, uh, you know, I've had people that actually took big cuts in pay. I, I, I had a, an attorney at one point who closed down his private practice and came to work for me for, for a big pay cut. Uh, had to be kind of creative about, you know, paying his bills because we couldn't pay him nearly what he yeah. got. But, but he, wanted to work, he wanted to work with me. He wanted to work with our organization. And he was inspired. And, and I, I was just humbled by that to say, this is a talented person. He uh, he could do a lot of things, but he's he sees the, the there's something in it for him by working around us and and I, and I want to be that kind of person that people feel like it's just, it's not just a money thing. It's not just how much they pay me, but yeah, they'll pay me this much, but they'll also help me grow. They'll they'll make they'll help me become a mighty man or woman of God myself, and they'll give me opportunities to to stretch and to try things. I might never have tried uh, without their help and encouragement. And so I want to just encourage listeners to say, um, you, you may not have a whole, I mean, David was a king and he had, so he had a king size group of mighty men around sure. him. But do you have one or two, just one or two people that you're investing in, that you're seeing grow? Uh, several times over the years, I've come to people and said, I, I want you to consider this this new uh, job. Maybe it's to be vice president. Maybe it's to be a, a dean or something. And at times people have, have said, well, I, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I'm qualified. And I, when I've seen potential in them, there's been times where I've said, well, I, you may not be qualified yet, but I intend to qualify you. I'll, I'll help you take classes. I'll give you time off to go to seminars. I'll, you can buy whatever books you need to, to study. Uh, I'll be gracious when you mess up as you're learning, but I think that you're worth investing in because I think the bottom line will be that I'll have another mighty man on our staff as a result of investing in you. And so keep your eyes open. You may have some people, they may not be mighty men yet, but if you'll invest in them, they could be. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, when you get to the point where you don't have to go into that pit and fight that giant yourself, but you've got a couple of mighty men or mighty women saying, we'll, we'll take care of that for you. You just wait right there. You, we've seen your example. We know your encouragement. We're, we're loyal to you. We love you. We'll, we'll take on this uh, difficult task for you. I'll tell you what, then, then it's all worth the investment you've made <laughs> as a leader to uh, invest in mighty men. And even when you're getting older and retiring or whatever else, those mighty men will still be going strong. And, you'll, and, and that's really how you end up with a legacy. And so I want to encourage people, uh, if you don't have mighty men, you could, if you first become one and then you learn how to grow them yourself around, you don't just hire them, make them. And, uh, that, that's the real test of great leadership. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.